Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Stocks for beginners. There's this idea that, and, and to be fair, I think there is something to the price discovery process, something. Uh, not a lot, but something where the market exists to discover the price of, of, of an asset. It, it kind of does, but how efficient the market is in that price discovery process is debatable. If a stock is trading at $182.92, is that company really, really worth $182.92 times the number of shares? Hi, and welcome back to Stocks for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you'll notice that I try and give equal time to both sides of the sectarian divide, fundamental and technical analysis. Team Fundamental look for the future price of companies based on their fundamentals and financials, and Team Technical look at price history. Joining me today for the technical side of the story is Dan Passarelli. Hello, Dan. Hey, Phil. How are you? Great to be here. Thank you very much for coming on. Dan Passarelli is a trader, author, a former member of the Chicago Board Options Exchange, a frequent contributor to financial media, a marathon runner, a musician, and president at Market Taker Mentoring. So were you around in the old days of open outcry at the Chicago Exchange? Uh, yeah, Phil, I was so fortunate to have had an interesting career. I was I was trading in this business right at the right time to just see an incredible changeover from almost complete open outcry, standing in the pits, yelling and screaming, to now almost complete electronic trading. So it's been quite, quite a journey. Yeah. What was that like? I mean, I've, I've actually had a guest on the podcast who started his career running for his dad, who was in the, in the pits. And basically, his father basically said, this is exactly what you not, should not be doing when you're trading or investing. There's way too many burnouts here. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, there were definitely a lot of folks that I saw come and go. People would, um, you know, start their career as a, as, as a runner or as a clerk and work to get their big break. And a month later, that would be the last time you see them in a lot of cases. But, you know, those who made it work, uh, a lot of folks had really long and wonderful and prosperous uh, careers. Mm. And I, I imagine, like with anything, there's uh, a lot of work that goes into it and uh, a lot of luck that uh, needs to happen along the way, too. And so that was soft commodities, weren't they? Um, agricultural commodities that are traded or were traded there in those open outcry days? You know, I uh, I also was fortunate enough to have traded both. Um, mm -hmm. Most of my career uh, as a as a market maker, professional trader on the trading floor, was in equity options, uh, options on stocks. Uh, but I also had a couple of stints trading in the corn options, the agricultural options, mm. and um, it was interesting in that 
they're very similar, which was kind of almost a, a lesson in and of itself that when you're trading options, you're trading the option and it's not just a substitute for the stock. So, you know, just having that knowledge of how options themselves work was a great benefit to that changeover. I was having a conversation with my wife the other day. I was trying to explain options to her and um, I came up and I could be wrong about this. I'm no expert and maybe you can confirm this for me, but it was like many centuries ago, farmers would have a crop and someone would come along and take an option to buy the harvest at harvest time so that they would have financial, the, the farmer would have financial security and a speculator could possibly make money on that trade. Is that a reasonable way of looking at how options started and work? Yeah. I mean, you know, that's just like a very straightforward, great way to put it for, um, you know, your wife or, you know, any lay person. I don't know how much she knows about financial instruments. Not a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but yeah, options and futures have been, or, or actually, I guess, forward contracts technically uh, have been around for centuries. And, you know, they, they provide a lot of benefit for especially in agriculture, there's long history of that, you know, but for producers, you know, people who grew olives back in the ancient times of Greece, as a matter of fact, uh, as well as the people who, who had the presses and, and the folks who would end up buying the olives and having them pressed. Uh, that was one of the earliest examples of an options contract, uh, Thales, <laughs> back when he went to, it looked like there was going to be a bumper crop uh, of, of olives. So he went to all of the, all of the different presses in town, in the country, I don't know where, and contracted with them for the right, just paid them a sum of money to say, I get, basically, I get first dibs. Mm. Uh, if I choose to use the press, here's money, and uh, I might exercise that right to do so. Wow. Having the obligation to as well, as they say in options land. Yeah. <laughs> so what are your views on the, the two approaches, the technical and fundamental approach? I mean, I'm just being lighthearted here, but um, I know some people take this divide very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> well, there's a third divide. Oh, okay. <laughs> when I was a, a market maker, my goal was to buy the bid and sell the offer and uh, be as flat as I could. And we could talk for hours about that. So I'll keep that part short. Mm. And uh, my risk manager would tell me never to look at technical analysis and not necessarily even read the news on the companies. In fact, I didn't even know it half the companies that I was trading options on did <laughs> because I was, I was trading something different. I was trading just the bid ask, ask spread and, and just managing the volatility risk that came with options. So I, I kind of didn't care. Hmm. Then when I started trading for myself, I, I didn't have any background in fundamentals. And, and so... I became aware of the divide <laughs> where many of the fundamentalists would say, oh, yeah, you know, technical analysis doesn't mean anything. You're crazy if you look at that. And then technical analysis people would say, well, hey, everything's factored in. You know, you're just looking at, you know, this map of human history or human actions, I guess, right? Um, where people bought, where people sold. And, and that ended up uh, attracting me uh, maybe because 
it was easier uh, in some ways, I guess. But I spent much of my career doing that. And as I continue to grow, because I, I feel that being a lifelong learner is super important, I try and learn a little bit about the fundamentals too. But they are very different. I think uh, time horizon is probably the biggest difference. Yeah, you alluded just a moment ago to being a market maker. And um, you quickly went off the topic and said we could talk about that for hours. But why don't we just talk about it for a moment? Because it is actually important in options trading that you've got to understand that there is a market maker most of the time on the other side of the trade. Yeah. um, And, you know, that's one thing that I work with our student traders on a lot is helping them understand the mechanics of, of options or I guess more importantly, the mechanics of, of markets. When you push that button and say, you know, buy, you know, pay 650 for these options, what happens? You know, like why, why is that number there? Who put it there? And there is another person on the other side of that trade. And in fact, usually if you're looking at a bid and an offer in options anyway, there's usually the same person on both sides of that trade. They're people who provide liquidity, and uh, we call them market makers because, well, the bid-ask spread is the market. Someone will buy here, someone will sell there. And um, being a market maker, having started off my career that way, was really interesting. It, it, It taught me many, many things that made me a better trader now. But then again, uh, there were a lot of things that it didn't teach me, like technical analysis and fundamental analysis uh, that I had to learn after the fact. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So what's your simple explanation then of what an option is? Yeah, so hmm, I always hate giving the textbook definition, which is so dry and the so obligation boring. and the rights and all of that stuff, which actually mean nothing in options trading, don't, do they? So, uh, I'll let you explain. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I mean, we could take um, any sort of day-to-day thing, and like a great one that I've used as an example before is gasoline for your car, right? That's something that has always fluctuated in price seemingly a lot more lately, right? And so what if, you know, the gas station ran some sort of special, right? And they said, hey, look, you can join our club. You pay 50 bucks. And no matter what happens, you can buy gas at $4 a gallon through the rest of the summer. I mean, that could be pretty promising. I mean, that that could end up being extremely valuable to you if gas goes up to $5. Um, you know, you pay this small sum and you get to, no matter what happens until the summer ends, you get to buy gas at this fixed price. And of course, if it goes down to three fifty, you just, you know, you just won't use that club membership, you know, that right you have to buy it at four, you'll just pay three fifty. But as long as you have that right, you can, you can buy it at, you know, at, at whatever, whatever price the gas station says you can buy it at. That 
seems like it could be a fairly tangible example. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, that sounds good. Um, why don't you just give us an example with a, a stock, a specific stock, and say, okay, you, um, you know, you're going to buy a call option on this particular stock. Just maybe describe a little bit about that process. Yeah, sure. Um, let's see. I was uh, looking at more puts today than calls. But <laughs> oh, of course. It's a, it's a red day, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Did they do any All calls? All we want for Christmas no. is a green candle. Hey? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Oh, I don't know. Like, let's say we're looking at, um, well, I mean, Here's sort of a, the sort of thing that I did with my kids when they were younger. We didn't quite get into options just yet, but it's the same concept. I asked my daughter, I said, well, we're going to take your communion money <laughs> and, uh, and you're going to invest in a company. She's like, I don't know anything about companies. I'm, I'm nine, you know, and I go, of course you do. You know, what is a something that you, what's a product you use? I don't, I don't use any product. Sure you do. You know, what's, what's your favorite toy? Okay. Barbie. You know who makes Barbie is Mattel, right? Okay. So you could actually own the company that makes Barbie. Pretty cool, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so so let's say someone likes Mattel for that reason, but they wanna they wanna be very conservative about it. You know, the market's been a little precarious lately. They don't want to go and invest uh, you know, put eighteen hundred bucks into buying a hundred shares. They want to have a more limited loss. Well, instead of paying eighteen dollars a share for a hundred shares of Mattel, they could buy the right to buy a hundred shares. So for the next 18 days, they could buy the 18 strike calls for just 60 cents a share. And if they did that, you know, that's sort of that club membership at the gas station, right? It's mm -hmm. an expense. You know, you pay that. And if at expiration, Mattel is above 18 significantly, I could exercise those calls. Maybe, maybe the stock's at 20 and I could buy it at 18 and turn around and immediately sell it at 20 and lock in a $2 profit minus the 60 cents I paid for the call. But realistically, we want to take it a step further. The call in and of itself has a value and it intuitively changes as the price of the underlying stock changes. Um, it gets less valuable as time passes because we'd rather have that right for a long time. So as certain things change, the value of the call itself changes. If I were to buy one of those calls at 60 cents a share, which represents a hundred, the rights on a hundred shares at $60, if the stock goes up, that call might become worth more. I might be able to sell it later for, for 90 cents. I could get $90 for what I paid $60 for. So like that's, that's ultimately like the mindset that I like to get our student traders to as soon as possible that, you know, we're trading the options. It doesn't really work like it works in the textbook where we're talking about, you know, exercising your rights and all that business. Mm -hmm. You know, we're trading this instrument and being very, very smart about it. So um, there's two types of options, isn't there? There's call options and there's put options. What are, what's the difference? Yeah. So the call option is the one that I just explained. Mm -hmm. I can call those shares to me if I own, and, and this is where it does kind of get back to the, the technical part of it. If I, if I own the right 
to buy the shares, I can I, I can call those shares to me. I can exercise and get those shares. And so calls tend to make money as the stack goes up. With puts, when stacks go down, I you typically lose money as an investor. So puts give me a way to protect myself and put that stack to somebody else so I don't lose on it, right? If I owned those shares of Mattel and I thought that that stack was going to go down, I could buy the 18 strike puts. And if it does go down, maybe it goes down all the way to $15. I can exercise my right to sell them to that person at $18 a share. I can put the stock to them at that price, even if it's lower, even if it's much, much lower, which enables me to protect myself. I love the way you're explaining this in an audio medium. And I can see, by the way, that you're moving your arms, that you're used to explaining this with pictures as well, but you're doing a fantastic job there, Dan. <laughs> and I'm Italian. <laughs> Shh, I don't think anyone's noticed our surnames yet. I'm good to hear you're going to have a bowl of pasta later on tonight with your martini. <laughs> so what are the kind of tips that you would have for beginners approaching markets for the first time from a technician's point of view? One of the most important things to start out with is to kind of dispel this very big misnomer that technical analysis, which, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with that term, it's basically using what we call a stock chart, a, a graph, basically overlaying certain things on there to make the, the date on that chart easier to read, right? And the biggest thing to dispel is that you cannot predict the future with these things. They're, they're not intended to do that. Some people who are more novice to reading stock charts make that really, really big mistake that say, oh, if this happens, that means that this should happen. But really what it is, and I kind of briefly referenced this the, uh, earlier, is that what it is is it's a, it, it's a map of human behavior. Take support, right? So support on a stock chart is when a stock goes down to a certain level, say every time it gets to $50 a share, it bounces back higher, right? And you see that several times over the past few weeks. Well, philosophical question. Why does a stock ever go higher? More buyers than sellers at, at that price, right? That's where the resting orders are. That's where the value investors who run very sophisticated models say, hey, this stock is worth more than $50. If it gets to $50, we're going to buy it there because it's worth more than that. And so the stock chart itself and any indicator or any anything that you can overlay on that chart simply helps you better understand what has happened in the past, where the buyers were and where the sellers were, and makes it easier to understand in, in their own certain way. So where do you start the education for explaining technical analysis? I mean, that's obviously the starting point, what you've just described, but um, where do you take it from there? I like to just simply, you know, explain what the chart is and Normally, it doesn't take much more of an explanation than that. Um, mm. Breaking down the individual candles, I think, you know, there's a little bit more data there. And candles is what I prefer to use. It's a style of charting. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I, I like to keep it as simple as possible because we do some one-on-one -on -one coaching for people who, who really want to dial in their trading and, and really want to get it right and shorten their learning curve and not spend years and 20 
$40,000 paying the market to, for their education. You know, when we do one-on-one education with uh, folks and I see all these lines all over their charts and all these different things, I just say, stop. I don't even want to know what this is. Erase it. We don't need all this. You know, fancy is seldom better when it comes to trading. So like the main things that I really hammer home are these areas of support where the buy orders were, resistance where the sell orders were, how to deal with stocks with what their likelihood of support and resistance holding, what to do if it breaks through there, um, where I might consider getting into a trade from there, where I might consider getting out of the trade from there, where I'd consider protecting myself if it goes against me. Uh, but then I will use some other uh, indicators, uh, moving averages, uh, RSI, different volatility data. Mm. So what is a moving average? I mean, that's one of the most basic um, indicators that you see on a chart, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think everybody uses a moving average or two, right? Mm. So I was, I was a finance major, took some economics classes. And they taught me this crazy thing called price. They taught me a couple of crazy things. One is price discovery. And one is the efficient market hypothesis. There's a little something to each of them, but I think they're generally recognized as not nearly as big a deal as they used to be thought of. There's this idea that, and, and, to be fair, I think there is something to the price discovery process, something, uh, not a lot, but something, where the market exists to discover the price of, of an asset. It, it kind of does, but how efficient the market is in that price discovery process is debatable. If a stock is trading at $182.92, is that company really, really worth $182.92 times the number of shares? Um, because there's, there's, you know, there's a fair amount of noise in the market. And so anytime we look at the price of a stock right now, it's not necessarily all that representative of its value right now. It's hopefully not dreadfully far off. Of course, if it is dreadfully far off, there's a great trading opportunity, right? So maybe hopefully it is. But what a moving average does is it takes the price of a stock over certain iterations of time. And, you know, maybe that might be 50 days. They might take the the closing price from the past 50 days and say, okay, you know, today the stock closed at this. So there's an assumption that it's kind of worth that. But, you know, let's just kind of take an average. Let's just say over the past 50 days, this is the average of what the stock was. And that'll give us a better idea longer term of what the value of, of the company really is, right? It's uh, for smoothing out the noise, is it? Yes, exactly. It smooths out the noise. And, and so because we're looking at a 50-day period and, well, we trade every day, it just goes on and on. Um, as a new day is put into that 50 days, one day drops out. So there's the, the moving part of the moving average. We've talked about two aspects here. We're talking about technical analysis. And of course, we won't go into too much depth on either because you've got a lot more information that's your website for listeners to learn. So we've got options and we've got technical analysis. 
someone who wants to start trading, I'm presuming that you're going to have to have a brokerage account to be able to buy and sell the options and going to have to have charting software. What does that sort of process look like and how do they interact with each other? One thing to consider is that there are a a handful of forces that affect the value of an option. And one of the biggest is, is the underlying price. Like before, when I was talking about Mattel, you know, if, if the stock goes up, those 18 strike calls get worth more because, you know, I can buy at this fixed price and, and the stock is going to at a higher and higher price, right? Just intuitively, the value increases and it would decrease if the stock falls too. So that's one thing. Time is another thing. Volatility is another thing. Interest is another thing. Now, because I would say the most important thing for for most option traders is the price of the underlying, it's important for an option trader to get a feel for and sort of do some forecasting of and try and understand what the price of the underlying stock is more likely to do. So any decent option trading brokerage platform will have a robust technical analysis uh, package embedded within it. And it'll enable you to, to chart a stock and, and, and do some of these things like look at moving averages and relative strength and, and some things like that so that you can make better decisions about your option trading. So what are the dangers for beginners to be aware of in this kind of space? There's a logical progression learning to become a good trader. And the first part is that it is, it is learning. I got my education on the trading floor. I worked for a trader who was very, very tough on me. (laughs) I'd go home pretty defeated a lot of days, but it really benefited me a great deal. It forced me to really be very alert and be very, very, you know, ready to defend any answer that I had to know that I'm right and, and to really study it and to really get it under my thumb before I ever even put any money into a trade. And, you know, that, that real passion for knowledge, whether it's forced upon you like it was with me, (laughs) Uh, or, you know, you just have that, you know, quenching that thirst for knowledge first is so important. And another thing that many of the options friendly brokerage platforms have is something called paper trading. They will enable you to toggle a little switch on your screen that says basically use fake money. Here's an account. How much pretend money would you like in it? And then you can make trades using real market prices with, you know, fake money. And if you make money, it's still fake money. So (laughs) it doesn't feel quite as good, does it? Yeah, no, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) But it it feels a lot better when you lose fake money. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, that enables you to test out the knowledge that you learned in in textbooks or from, um, you know, video courses or, you know, we we try and make things as hands-on as possible. So, so we do a lot of like live online trainings where we can screen share and such, you know, because when you, when you learn in a controlled environment, it just doesn't work the same in real life as the textbook would make you think it does. So you get to test that out. But you know, the thing about 
paper trading or, or, you know, fake money trading is that you're not actually trading with another person. Like we talked about before, mm. you're not actually trading with the market makers. So the mechanics actually work a, a little bit different. And so then you have to kind of get used to that once you start trading with real money. And that's sort of step three, a uh, trading with real money, but a little bit of real money. You know, one lot, I mean, I, you know, we work with traders of all, from all backgrounds of every sort, one being financial. I've worked with traders who have $7,000. I've worked with traders who have $10 million. And I tell them both the same thing. We're going to trade, we're going to trade one lots. Mm -hmm. And start out with one contract. Let's keep it around a hundred bucks a trade or something like that. Cause you're going to make mistakes. You're going to get nervous. You're going to get greedy. You're going to let those emotions creep in. So step 3B is then we sort of, as we build more confidence, we can ratchet up our trading. And um, there's nothing I love more than seeing some of our, our student traders go on to become really, really successful after they build that confidence. Because the psychological side of things is so important as well. And a lot of people come into this with all these ideas of making money, but it really comes down to understanding your emotions and psychology as well, doesn't it? Oh man. Uh, psychology is one of the biggest parts of trading. Um, it's one of the things, it's probably the biggest thing that I've seen cause people to fail mm. and just leave the business. Yeah. What will listeners find at market taker mentoring? Oh, we've covered it quite a bit already, but, um, tell us about, um, market taker, you know, give us your, uh, your pitch to listeners for it. Yeah. I mean, what you'll find with us is a great community of traders all the way from the top up to the bottom down. I and our other coaches, we're very passionate about our students. We, we put a lot of time into them, whether it's in group classes and, or especially in our one-on-one -on -one coaching, we want you to succeed. It's sort of our, I guess our pride on the line <laughs> in some ways. Um, it doesn't do me any good to have someone join our class and, and have it not work. So we put in our blood, sweat and tears and we've seen a lot of traders put in blood, sweat and tears, but we try and have uh, no blood <laughs> and less sweat and, and hopefully no tears, but those, those tend to come every now and then we, we try and make it as easy for our traders as possible by creating programs that a just really take the knowledge needed to succeed and break it down into bite-sized pieces and create very, very simple, easy to follow trading systems that empower you, you know, not just green arrow, red arrow, trust us, you know, just, just do what the computer tells you. We do have some green and red arrows, but we make sure that you understand exactly what you're doing and why and, and, and when, to, when to follow those arrows and when not to. It's sort of my goal to make your path as a trader as easy as possible. So how can listeners find out more? I believe you've got a, a special landing page for listeners to go to. Yeah, yeah. We'd love for you to come to our website and visit uh, visit with us. And one of the things that we'd like you to have is I just wrote a brand new ebook on a specific type of option trading. It's called Credit Spreads. And it's 
I think it's the best ebook I read. I don't know. You can read it, maybe read a couple more and tell me what you think. But if you go to markettaker.com slash SFB, which stands for Stocks for Beginners. So that's market as in stock market, taker as in take what's rightfully yours, two T's in a row, markettaker.com slash SFB. You can get that ebook uh, for free and read it over. And you can even, you know, go there from there, join our community. Uh, there's a lot of other free information we have on our website, markettaker.com. Uh, right now, our chat room is free. And there's some really, really sharp people in the chat room and all our coaches are in there to answer questions. And um, we'd love to, uh, you know, build a relationship with some of the folks who are listening today. Fantastic, Dan. Well, we'll put the, uh, the links into the episode notes in the blog post as well. But Dan, I hope you enjoy your pasta tonight. And um, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, thanks for having me, Phil. I really appreciate it. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Stocks for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Stocks for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.